0: Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio, featuring The Crew, where a former pro football player and a D3 All-Star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex.
1: Hey, Power Athlete Nation. Welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. I'm joined with Mr. Chris McQuilkin, aka Tex. Howdy. And we have Dr. Matt Zanis here dropping in.
2: Thanks for having me. Yeah, Pleasure welcome to, to
1: episode 517 of Power Athlete Radio. And um, I'm stoked that you're here, Doc. So I heard that you have some questions. Uh, instead of calling in and leaving them on the hotline, you decided just to show up in person with your hotness and <laughs> drop us some questions. Is this true?
2: I'm bringing all the heat today. Yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: Well, 929-464-464-0. 0 929 929- Ing, in Zero. Oh, That's the number for our hotline. I like the fact that you just kicked the door in and said, hey, you know what? I got questions. You got answers. Let's drop them. So let's open up this segment with Ask Us Anything.
2: You know, I am a longtime listener of the podcast. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> 2011, actually, to date it. Uh, but yeah, I actually went out and asked my cohort of people some questions for this podcast and we got a bunch of them I think these are really good philosophical thought-provoking questions and I'm excited to get after them
1: oh well let's uh let's launch in
2: all right first one you ready yeah ready ready okay what does it mean to get a seat at the table versus expecting an invite
1: so that's kind of a big table or a big thought like when you think of the table what are we really looking at are you talking about like within strength conditioning are you talking about within your family are you talking on a global scale and I think that every person has to establish that for themselves. Like, what does it mean to be sitting at, at a table with your peers and considered to be, you know, friends and family, or more importantly, an influential person that deserves to have a voice? Um, when, you, when, you, when you actually just said it right now, two things came to mind. One was uh, the program, you know, our boy Latimer. Uh-huh. seated at the table. But for those guys, they sat at different tables. Their starting defense sat at a table at, at, at meals. They're starting offense at the table at meals, so there was like a seat specific for him. So it was uh, not only a metaphoric thing that he was, you know, on the starting defense, but it was a physical seat at the table. And then the other thing is I've always been a fan of the Arthurian legends. Um,
2: Knights at the Round Table. Yeah, the
1: Knights of the Round Table. The idea that we're going to create a big table. There's going to be no head, no foot, uh, and that everybody's going to be equal at this round table. Now, obviously, we're at a rectangular table, and I'm sitting here at the head, um, but – That's because, uh, you know, this works better in our, you know, three-person configuration. Um, But I think when I think about earning a seat at the table, it's uh, being considered an equal, being a contributor to something that allows for people to better themselves. Uh, In terms of power athlete, you know, somebody that contributes, somebody that can, you know, teach and, and, you know, write and influence and speak and you know just is a uh, a good ambassador and more importantly embodies what we hope to see here at power i
0: my fast thinking my immediately response was going back to when you're trying to find your foothold in your career internships and you got to take a number of them and the attitude was always you're going to do such a good job in your internship you want to make it hard for them not to hire you hmm. so that was always the the mindset and the approach that I took to internships or opportunities. And, I mean, that place at the table would be even if they couldn't hire you, you left a lasting impression that then they were willing to make a call for you or be at the front. Uh, and we think of Donnie Maybe at University of Texas where football had a turnover of a co- coaching staff, and you know they bring their teams in, but now Donnie is a, a good friend and he's able to – you know, make connections for Power Athlete, recommend it, come hang out at Power Athlete, but he was in that position as a, a mentor of the interns at University of Texas, and now, you know, he's still willing, and I, that's a representation of the place of the table. You know, with that individual, while it may not be on a University of Texas staff, it's still within his, like, his community. Well, yeah.
1: I, uh, uh, the biggest thing, and, and I think what, um you know the the idea of earning a seat at the table is contribution. Like, what are you contributing to the to the greater good, to the cause? Uh, you know, and it very well might be that you don't want to sit at anybody's table other than your own, and then you can do like my dad always joked about: don't ever hold your uh, fan club meetings in a phone booth. So I think about like if you're sitting at your own table and nobody's at the table with you, is it really a table, or are you just resting your legs? You know, um, but I really think it comes down to uh, like. Very few things in this world are given to people. I mean, uh, even people that are, you know, born into vast wealth and generational wealth, whatever, like there's still a responsibility to be able to extend and to be able to uh, uh, be a, you know, contributing member of something. Um, Very few times is anybody handed anything without... Uh, you know, any friction or work or, or effort that just goes on and does amazing things. I mean, you know, I, I think I, in, my, uh, in my bathroom I have one of the quotes, uh, I think it's a Seneca quote that, you know, you can't sharpen a blade without friction. You can't uh, grow as a man without trials. You know, you need trials and, and battles and fights and wins and losses to effectively sharpen your blade. I mean, that's the friction. So um, I think if you want to earn a seat, you have to go out and snatch it, steal it, fight for it, battle for it. Very few things are given. And if you're sitting at home waiting for the invitation, I think your phone's never going to ring.
2: I think, you know, for me, when I hear asking for a seat at the table or earning a seat at the table, the first word that comes to mind is that community. And then what does it mean to be a part of that community? And and John, you brought up a really good point there of what can you provide? How can you contribute? And that's the idea of being useful. Like, are you actually a useful member contributing to this um, community? And if you can't be, I don't think you deserve to even ask the question of, can I be a part of this community? Can I sit at your table as well?
0: Well, on that note, if you're looking, let's say there is a, a community and certain amount of skills that that community needs. If you're just, if I'm looking at Xanus and to be the most badass PT and I'm just in line with his skills mm-hmm. and waiting, okay, I'm gonna be the next Xanus. I'm gonna be the next Xanus. Why is nobody calling me? Versus, oh, Here's a different skill. I see this as a need within said community. Why don't I fill that skill set or develop a new skill to then contribute?
2: And that's actually a really perfect example. John, I don't know if you remember during my block one test at the end, we were sitting at it might have been this very table and we were going it through was. yeah, going through the, the review of the things that you liked, the things that I could work on and all that. And it came down to the end, and I remember I was getting up out of the seat and I told you that we we're gonna be doing really amazing great things together. Yeah. Right. And it was in that moment, I think that was like the trajectory, that was me asking for my seat at the table in that yep. moment. And I never stopped asking.
1: Well, and uh... Tenacity
2: fuels success, right? Yeah, uh,
1: you know, I, I, I think all too often, and I've, I've thought about this a million different times, like, oh, how come I didn't get invited to, to that? Mm-hmm. Well, did I make an effort to put myself out there to, to meet those people, to put myself in a situation to be able to do that? like uh, uh, Matt Vincent's on a deal where they're riding motorcycles through California with, uh, with a few other people and like he was telling me I'm like man that seems great I don't know those people but dude uh, I would go meet those people if I got a chance to get on a motorcycle and go ride up to Northern California you know and like I, I think all too often when people hear you know like run in or they you know, oh, I, you know how come I'm not a part or more importantly you know how come I haven't been invited and it's like well what have you done to put yourself out there and uh, I was talking, telling you guys, my mom told me when I was pretty young, if you want to have friends, you have to be a friend. You have to put yourself out there. You have to engage people, invite people. And if you just sit at home waiting for people to call you, like, oh, I don't have friends. Well, have you been outside? Did you go out? Have you called people? And I remember uh, um, I invited one of the guys. I remember uh, I was like a freshman football player, and I like one of the dudes that I played next to. I was like, hey, you want to like hang out and go to the movie? And uh, we ended up going to the movies that that weekend. I think we went and saw Navy Seals. Great movie, and uh, we were buddies ever since then. And it was just the mere fact that he was like, "Yeah, sure, like let's go." So I, I like. That's the uh, uh, what is it? You hit, um, like you never hit a single shot you don't take, or you miss a hundred percent of the, the shots, shots you don't, don't take. take. Yeah, I mean. Uh, like that, you know, whether it's uh, going up and introducing yourself and talking to a girl or it's, you know, making friends or, you know, trying to promote yourself or be able to push your business or get invited to go ride motorcycles, whatever. If you don't put yourself out there and, you know, make yourself available, make yourself, you know, of use and, you know, hey, I'm a contributing member to this thing, then I don't think people are going to be kicking down your doors. Uh, You know, uh, to go back and reflect a little bit on my relationship with CrossFit, I mean, that would have never have happened if I hadn't shown up and gone and competed in the CrossFit games. You know, they uh, reached out, and I said, yeah, man, I'll uh, – which was probably pretty stupid to do the week before I went to training camp for the Patriots. But I still showed up and did it, and I don't think if I had done that, I would have been in a position when they asked me to do CrossFit football, too. I mean, that just would have never happened. I, I don't think it would have ever come to fruition if I hadn't done that and put myself out there to begin with.
0: Well, yeah. And your attitude on that documentary (laughs) every 60 seconds counts. (laughs) Every second counts. Yeah. And just making fun of the whole thing being good content for them. Yeah. I mean, you, that was an opportunity. I mean,
1: how was that filming experience? Was that just weird? Did you know, did you realize what the hell was going on? Uh, no. So I, I had not really done CrossFit. I was training at a CrossFit gym. Um, Getting ready to go back, but it wasn't until they reached out and said, "Hey, uh, you know, we're, would you compete in the CrossFit Games?" and I was like, "Ah, I don't know." And then they uh, like hit us up again. And I was like, "Yeah, I mean, when is it? Okay, yeah, fuck it, let's go do this thing." And then they said, "Hey, can we send some cameras out to film some of your training?" And I was like, "Yeah, fuck, that's fine. I mean, you know, they filmed my training before for the NFL. It was not a big deal." So then they showed up, and uh, you know, uh, it was uh, Carrie and Saban. Um, interviewed us, hung out, took a bunch of stuff, and I didn't necessarily know that they were going to cut it up into a movie until, you know, much much later after that. So
2: well, was... talk about making yourself known. You stood out like a sore thumb. Yeah.
1: Uh, <laughs> well, like the, ne- the biggest, ne- the next biggest guy was like 200 pounds, and then I was like 306. So hey, who's this just... guy running down the third oh, path? Oh fuck, man, my legs blew out, dude. <laughs> I uh, uh w- we made a, a huge mistake on that one in that uh, I ran first. And uh, I was so smoked from the run that I never recovered. I should have run dead last. I should have crushed everything, got enough points to get high, and then just somehow survived the run. I went out and just imploded on the run, and then the whole weekend was an implosion. Were you trying to prove something? Uh, You know, maybe. I mean, um, I've always uh, taken this idea that, you know, I thought I was, um, you know, extraordinary, that I could do just about anything. And during my playing days, I felt like I was superhuman, that I could do anything, that uh, I could play at the highest level. I could lift all the weights. I could run. I could do all these things. And um, e- even through injury, I remember hanging out with Mark Schlereth uh, when I was a young guy. And Schlereth was like, everybody can do it when they're healthy, but can you do it when you're injured? Can you do it when, you, when you're when you getting old and you've had surgeries? And so I always thought that was an interesting observation that you know everybody's pretty good when they're healthy. So um, I just... Had this idea and then you know the training was going really well, um, and when they shot it out there, I was like, "Yeah, sure, I'll go out to the middle of nowhere and fucking roll some dudes up." But I I, I didn't necessarily know a ton about CrossFit, like I didn't understand, uh you know, that Chris Spieler at five, six, 130 pounds was going to be there, and the dude can do burpees like a like you know something else. a Rabbit. Yeah. Well, I mean, he doesn't have to go far, like and so dropping oh. three feet to the ground. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: We we measured my wingspan this morning <laughs> twice. Twice, Just I'm, check. Uh, my wingspan is three inches shorter than my height. So I'm Ooh, like the opposite of 60, everything they highlighted in an NBA and game. A
2: half. <laughs> 64 and That's
0: a half, not people. good. Normal. Norm. Oh, great bench press, guys. Yeah. yeah.
2: And all that all came from the fact that we we're standing, sitting over there doing our, our kneeling lunges or kneeling uh, presses, and it was like, he's like a little piston. And and like, like, I'm like my reps are going like twice as long.
1: He's like, what do you mean? What is going on? I got a short humorous <laughs> head. Well, uh, yeah. What's that Six equation that they
2: yeah.
0: using the the fitness for distance traveled? Oh, uh, for
1: work capacity. Yeah, the that's idea it like um, uh, horsepower, which is uh, like what is it? Oh, fuck! I can't remember. Yeah, the equation. I can't
0: remember. But yeah, you're fitter than I am because you got to travel farther distance.
1: You're doing more work than you. Mm. You're not wrong. Um, that, that's actually that's actually hilarious, dude
0: uh Uh, yeah observation but back back to that the i mean you then created this opportunity it's your willingness your openness not necessarily seeking that out but it since has opened
1: up many doors for you well uh i remember when glassman pitched me the idea for cross football um i ended up driving out to arizona uh shortly thereafter (laughs) and uh, let me think yeah yeah i drove out to uh, they pitched me i drove up to arizona met with them kind of gave him some ideas and I basically said to him hey I'm, I'm ready I'll be I'll call you in 30 days and I called him in 30 days and we launched and they had uh, a couple guys who had been driving out there like every couple of months for a couple years talking about doing something similar mm. and like I don't know what they were waiting for and then they were upset when we launched and I guess the idea was like well you guys have been were you aware this. of that or no. you just said fuck i do, no. do, do me. I wasn't even aware of it.
2: It's because you seized the opportunity.
1: You, were, well, I, I, you set yourself up. Like Seize you the there. carp. Yep. Seize the carp. Well, carp um, I think a lot of people, uh, and we, we saw this in the fitness industry all the time, like the people, we used to call them getting ready to get ready. Oh, like they would want to come train with us, be like, oh, I need to get in shape before I come back here. Or, you know, I'm, I'm getting ready to get ready. And I think a lot of times in the this, you know, whether it be business or whatnot, we get run into a lot of times where people are getting ready to get ready. Like, hey, here's an idea. Okay, you know, now I need more. And they, they kind of just continue to, to to cultivate this thing opposed from just, you know, throwing a grenade in the ground and getting going. So uh, when the idea was pitched to me, I knew that I had a very, very small window um, to turn it around. And I called them in 30 days, and I said, hey, let's launch this thing. And we launched it, and, and then it ran 100 miles an hour. So uh, I've been real good. Like, and geez, I mean, this has gone back a number of years, but whenever I'm presented with something, uh, I make a decision pretty quick to either do it or don't. Like if, uh, you know, like, you, you know, when I was playing, it was like, hey, should we go here this weekend? You know, my answer was always yes. Kind of the the, uh, the Jim Carrey yes man deal where it's like, if you just say yes, you never know what kind of fun or trouble you're going to get yourself into. So like, let's it's better than not doing it. So uh, a lot of times I would just be like, yeah, sure, let's go. Let's give it a shot. Let's see what happens. And you know, whenever I've Told you guys any of this, any stories? You're like, what happened? I'm like, it just came from just saying yes. Sure, sounds like a great idea. Let's go. And uh, we ended up getting myself into a, a lot of fun and interesting and eclectic situations based on just being available. And I think a lot of times people are unavailable to things, or they can't necessarily wrap their head, or they can't pivot. Um, you got to be agile, and you got to be able to go out there and and uh, you know if something seems like a good idea, uh, go in and execute it instead of just Sit around, get ready to get ready.
2: Yeah, I think that's, uh, those are very, some very masculine traits of you, John. Being very assertive and being able to make decisions like that, I think it sets you up into a, a really great place. And I was going to ask this question kind of next is like, how do you actually prove yourself to get a seat at the table, right? And you demonstrate a lot of those qualities that already lay the groundwork that's necessary. So when that window opens up, you can jump through it, yeah. right? And uh, we, we use this all the time. You know, I don't know if you have to like, physically actually prove yourself so to speak it's more about the energy that you present out than you're putting out there and deliver to the world and those around you and uh, uh my girlfriend Kendall and I call it BDE you know what that is
0: big dick energy there it Ooh, is big yeah. dick energy huh
2: it's, big B- it's a BDE right And you don't need to actually have a giant phallus um, to <laughs> demonstrate BDE but it's more of an energetic thing it's the, it's the confidence it's the assertiveness it's the ability uh, to make decisions and it's just the um, the ultimate air of confidence, I think. And you know, like who, and I was talking to a group of people about this the other day, you know who demonstrates that really, really well? Our good friend, Mr. Rudy Reyes. Oh. Right? Because he's authentic, right? Nobody else is ever going to be like him. He, he de- one he, he of put, a kind. <laughs> he's very, very one of a kind. Uh, but he puts himself out there and he doesn't yeah. care what you think about him. And, you know, it, it's really interesting because one of the guys was talking about how he was... Um, at the symposium back in 2017 and Rudy's up there in his cutoff jean jacket that he always wears, no shirt underneath and like those skin tight corduroy pants and boots. And all these women are just flocking to him and everybody else was just kind of like in the way of this flocking. <laughs> yeah. And he couldn't understand why. And then, and then you realize it's like, yeah, he's a good looking dude and everything, yeah, but what's he putting out there? He's confident and people are attracted to that.
1: Yeah. I mean, they, um, uh, there's a piece of research and I'm sure we can dig in, put it in the show notes, where they uh, basically showed women men's faces and the uh, like and it had to do something with testosterone levels. So the higher the testosterone, the more attractive the face. And there was something about that like you know, and I'm I'm not saying it's even a, from a picture. Yeah, just from a picture. Mm-hmm. So I mean think about how hardwired we are. I mean, there's uh, there's a reason that peacocks have bitch and feathers. You know, there's male a, peacocks. Male peacocks. There's a reason that Rudy Reyes is Rudy Reyes, and like the, the whole look and everything. Like I love it. I uh, yeah. uh, like just. <laughs> 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 oh, God, I love Rudy Reyes. I mean, and and I'll tell you this, um, and that's also like just uh, like you know, like the whole kind of vision that is Rudy, but uh, really one of the most genuine, nicest, mm-hmm. kind-hearted. Like loving people I've ever met to the point where like you see him and like gives you a hug and is like it's so good to see you and it's never disingenuous like like when you're legitimately talking to Rudy or he says that you know like and the interesting thing is like you know we text and like I'll reach out to him on occasion or whatnot and I won't hear from him for a while and then all of a sudden he'll call me and he's like dude I've been meaning to call you here's all these great things that are happening and uh you know he has ups and downs and dark and this and whatever but like man that guy is always a, a shining light I mean, I think if everybody could bottle a little bit of Rudy Reyes and take a little bit of shot of Rudy every morning. Ode, could, ode to Rudy. Oh, dude, he's great. I love him. I remember the first time I met it's him, like, I, I didn't like, – like, at first, I was like, I don't know what to make of this dude. And then, like, within seconds, he won me over. And I was like, this guy's the best. It's like Sex Panther, right? Uh, he, yeah, I mean, it's uh, – well, except 100% of the time, it works every time. Uh, but I, you know what? I've, I've met people like Rudy – uh Boomer Gregsby was a lot like uh was like a Rudy Reyes. Jared Allen was a lot like Rudy Reyes. So I mean, I I played with guys that were real big personality dudes. I mean, dudes that walked in and lit up a room because they had that type of energy, they had that type of confidence. Uh I mean, fuck, I remember Jared who was my roommate uh came back with a tattoo where he had um like a little like a uh, deer kind of like with horns tattooed right below his belly button. And uh uh, I was like, what's up with that? He's like, oh, it's all you can eat under a buck.
2: <laughs> nice. And
1: so when we were out at the bar, he was like, he would just kind of like pull his pants down there like, is that a deer? He's like, it's a buck. It's all you can eat under a buck. And like, there was just like,
2: I feel like that needs to be my next tattoo.
1: Uh, dude, he had like, he just, had, he, I think he ended up getting it lasered off when he got married. But like, just the hilarious energy. Like we got a uh, there's a, this this cat we're friends with named Leor, who's a, a jeweler out in Vegas. He invited us to his wedding specifically because he knew we were fucking party starters, and like he brought us there. He's like, I only invited you guys because I want you to fucking blow this thing up, and we fucking blew it up. Um, so, uh,
2: so that brings up an interesting point, though. Just to play devil's advocate here, on the other side of the coin, we we know we talked about. Um, do you need to ask for a seat at the table, or can't you be asked to sit at the table as well? In that situation, you were asked to come to the party. Yep. Right? So are there some character traits about people that allows them, to, you know, that air about them, that confidence, that assertiveness, um, that authenticity that people are drawn to and they do get asked to sit at the table? Or is it more of a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, uh, I'm drawing to blank. Now. Well, um, is it, uh,
1: so uh, there's another good old cliche. It's a uh, high tide rises all boats. Yes. Right. So um, if you can latch up your boat, or if you encounter somebody that's a high tide, like then I think what you do is you you bring those people in because you know they are high tide individuals. You know, there's other people that are boat anchors. There's other people that'll you know stomp holes in your boat and drown it slowly. There's other people that'll blow it up. So I think you have to be really smart about who you. <laughs> Um, you know, bring into your into your circle, mm-hmm. and you have to assess those people. And I think the interesting thing about character is um, it's really hard to hide your character for long periods of time. I mean, so you you can fool us for a little bit, you can fool us for a little bit longer, but eventually your true colors will always come through. Mm-hmm. And then once those true colors come through, then you know, and we know who you are. Then all of a sudden, hey, then we're going to distance ourselves if you're not a good person. And um, you know, we've encountered that and. You know, when you encounter people that are, you know, uh, don't understand how to work well with others that are, you know, childish and, and, you know, are dealing with their own demons. Like, it's better to just let those people go off and be angry like, you know, like small kids getting time out in their rooms.
2: It's not worth the energy. And the word I was looking for was entitlement factor. Mm.
0: Entitlement
1: Entitlement factor.
0: factor, Please explain.
2: Like, do people think that they are entitled to a seat at the table based on maybe who they are? You know, you see Instagram now. i got got 100,000 followers. I deserve to be asked to go to this event or I deserve to be a part of your circle.
1: Sure. Uh, I would say so. I mean I, I think people feel that uh, whatever they've done coming into it, like whatever they're bringing to the table has weight. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and we I'm sure like we get hit up all the time by different, you know, Instagram influencers, but at the end of the day, if it doesn't fit within the, you know, like the ethos and the and the model in which we're building, it doesn't make sense. Like I'm not gonna have somebody out there pushing my stuff that's also pushing fit T. You know, like it's um,
0: just, quick Google search, there's a book called The H Factor of Personality. Why some people are manipulative, self-entitled, materialistic, and exploitive. And why it matters for everyone. Could be an interesting
1: read. Mm. I don't know. Um, I think, like, uh, to go back to your point, that you encounter certain people that like are a high tide. Like If you meet somebody and you're like, man, this person's like, he's, uh, energetic, he's smart, he's got good vision. Um, you know, he might not be doing exactly what we're doing, but there's synergy between us. Um, I think what you do is you find people that, uh, you know, have good synergy and that can continue to, to push and, and challenge, and then you just got to kind of ramp that stuff up. I think if you're sitting around with a whole bunch of people that all they're doing is, uh, you know, cheering and talking about what a great job you're doing and not challenging and not pushing, then I think it should get stale. T- two thoughts on that, John.
0: One, the within building a team, Like we had those party starters those way the the high tide you could say but there's also positive members within the team that get the job done like uh, going back to sports references and then what we saw of poor head coaching if they're saying oh this is our best athlete on the team he needs to be a leader and forcing him into a a speaker role that he hasn't quite developed that skill or it doesn't suit his personality when he just wants to, to play and be the best teammate. So there's still, it doesn't have to be that wave of energy that you can still be a, a, a positive force to continue to rise the tide. And then the second piece is on that term, like there's a term that was introduced through Harrison Bernstein that I've latched onto and his, his coach, Greg Williams, candor so it is it may be seemed and taken as negative but it is uh, a constructive words or adjustments or aim for you meaning "I, I know you're better than this we need you here what about this so it's an expectation that you're delivering honest feedback to your teammates that may feel harsh and then I mean, it, it could be on them to how they take it or on you to how you deliver candor, but it's raising that level of expectation of your team that may be, you know, a little harsh versus the all-positive, like, rah-rah, go around the corner and, and stay. So, like, that is a, that is a, a very deep term that, uh, that I held on to from our conversation with Harrison Bernstein that, man, good coaches know how to d- develop that candor within their athletes and teammates And then some of the NFL coaches that you've continued to speak positive about, man, we know they held you to a higher standard than you may. I know you had that drive within you, but still they knew you could just get a little bit more out of you by giving you honest feedback.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, being a professional coach, uh, especially on like a sports team where, you know, your job is dictated based on wins and losses and trying to do this. I mean, uh, you know, it's different than – like let's say you know coaching athletes in terms of uh, you know here in the weight room and performance. Like now all of a sudden now you're trying to get people to play at their peak level. You're balancing things like family and contracts and this and all a million different things. And now you have to get all those guys to work in concert. Um, and I mean the NFL is interesting, but uh, I'm always amazed with the uh, like the volatility of of NBA teams because those guys are such big egos because they're so like they're such interesting athletes. And uh, they come from, like, such different mindsets and different places and different skill sets. And these guys, when they go to a team, you know, some like, uh, you know, James Harden, you know, goes over to, you know, Brooklyn from a Houston. And, you know, you got these guys constantly moving around. Or, you know, you have a guy like LeBron who goes to the Lakers. And it's just amazing where they bring in. And it's really the fact that, like, one player can make a huge difference in basketball. I mean, I always thought that one player didn't make a difference in the NFL until I saw Tom Brady go to Tampa Bay and realized that fucking one player can take a team that's maybe going to make the playoffs and turn them into a Super Bowl contender. Uh, but in basketball, you take a team that, you know, might be kind of mediocre, you bring a LeBron James there, and all of a sudden now they're contenders. So, Or, you know, Steph Curry. There, there
0: is depth within that, and because uh, we're about to get Tim Grover on, who was Michael Jordan's coach and Kobe's coach, and – Dwayne Wade and like when he had a client he was there only that they were his only client so Tim Grover all in on all things performance and I've listened to him speak and reading his book and that the difference between a Michael Jordan and a Kobe Bryant and then a current day star is those guys Kobe would push and and really elevate his teammates expectations and like candor wasn't used but at the same time Kobe would do extra things. Well, Kobe to, uh, was uh,
1: um, to help him elevate their game. He was uh, like the way I always viewed him as kind of an infectious player. Like his hard work and his dedication was infectious to the team, where he almost shamed people into like the roles in which he needed them to do. Where like you know, Kobe, I think was such a hard worker, and whether or not it was like this blind passion, and at the end of the day, like we only know stories. Like I, right. uh, I didn't know You're him, right. so I don't know if like all the stories that we've heard for people were was really him. Or just him creating his own cult the of personality, Mamba mythology, which very well could have happened. I mean, he could have been a sharp enough, dude, to do certain things like, uh, "Hey, we're gonna start training at five a.m. and then show, and then all of a sudden he's there at four, shooting and warming up, and uh-huh. you know, because he wants those guys to tell that story. It's uh, like well, there's, you there, know, there is a quick one that I do like, and it's Jay Williams,
0: former Duke basketball player, Chicago Bull. Now he's an analyst. He had a motorcycle accident that ended his career, unfortunately, but. He tells a story when he was with the Bulls and then going to L.A. and heard the stories of the time that Kobe starts. So then just shows up, and then Kobe's already there. And then he's like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to put in two hours, of so just hard work on one of the opposite courts. And then he's like dogging it, and Kobe is still killing it, still killing it. And then they had the, the Bulls play the Lakers that night, and he just had to ask after the game. He's like, yeah, I knew you were showing up. I saw you. I knew you were there. So like he just had to outlast Jay Williams and then hold it above his head when then the Lakers kicked their ass that night in the game. It's, I work this hard and then I play a game, like good luck, buddy. So welcome uh, to the NBA moment.
1: Well, I, I mean, it's uh, like, like was that how Col- that how uh, was that how Kobe was all the time when nobody else was watching, or was he doing those things to try he, to like yeah. build his cult of personality that he wanted to build this oh, legend? That's a great term. Which. um I you know either way is fucking great like you know regardless of like that's just who he was if he was doing if he was that calculating that he was doing these things to try to mind fuck people that's even better but at the end of the day I mean there was a guy who I believe was an infectious player and I don't mean in terms of like infectious with COVID but like his hard work his dedication uh, his like passion to win was contagious and infectious where it was forcing other players to be able to pick up. I mean, can you imagine going to the Lakers when Magic and Kareem and you know, uh, you know, all those guys were you know playing at the highest level? I mean, to be a part of that team, I mean, you're going to come in and want to just not be the you know the low spot. And um, I think all too often, especially with basketball, um, like those guys' ego, like like the ego of Port. Uh, but then, yeah, you know, like these guys all have big egos but do they need big egos to do that job do they need that big dick energy like you were talking about to be able to go out there and do that i mean steph curry pulling up at half court and fucking draining shots like that takes some serious fucking balls like i like i uh i'm a steph curry fan but he absolutely ruined basketball like i'm I'm, like watching basketball with the kids and steph curry's on and my daughter's like, he just pulls up and shoots it every time. I'm like, yeah, but they're fucking killing him. Look at this. And like then she's like, but the other teeth guys don't get to shoot. I'm like, ah, that's not the basketball you're playing. No. I, I'm, there's no defense in there. It's no. all offense. Yeah,
0: all but the I, I'm trying to pull this up. And I know we're big fans of 48 Laws of Power. Mm-hmm. I can't remember exactly the law. And I can't Google fast enough. We know that. But there's a story of Lyndon B. Johnson and then these two aides that he had. And this is before he was president. But then they would show up early and then Lyndon's light would be on and just plugging away at work and anytime they turned something in uh, a paper or a speech or anything he just marked the hell out of it and just kick it back no matter what he just marked the hell out of their work and then they're he's staying longer hours they're killing themselves for this guy and then he's always doing more and then marking up their work so it's these guys representation of who this guy was to then just inch them a little bit better a little bit better And, I mean, back in that day, they didn't give him an inch, and that's what helped him rise to power. And we won't get into that specific, but just the the essence of that, of how he led from the front and was always forcing people to elevate themselves.
2: Well, it's the culture, right? It's the culture of the organization. It's the culture of Lyndon B. Johnson's office. It's the culture of Kobe's basketball team. I don't know if it's necessarily if these types of leaders are capable of faking – those types of leadership qualities, right? I feel like that would take way too much energy. Mm. Don't you think? Um, like To be able to no. like, say, hey, uh, I'm only going to turn it on just because the uh, cameras are on, just because everybody's around me.
1: I disagree. I think when you have people that are extremely smart and calculating it at a high level, I believe that uh, nothing is over, like, like nothing is beyond them. Everything's intentional. Yeah, like uh, Will Shields, for example, um, you know, in the Hall of Fame. I was fortunate to play with next to him for a number of years. Uh, He would show up and work out at, like, 5 a.m., right? So come in super early before everybody, work out, take a shower. Then he would get back in his clothes. He would drive around and then drive in the entrance like he was coming fresh and then come in and pretended like he hadn't worked out. So he would just come in and be like, ah, you know, like it was the funniest thing. And I remember being like, uh, working, working. He's like, no, I'm not working out. I'm like, oh, okay. So then we would get dressed and go down. And then I remember, like, years later, I was talking to Jeff Hurd or one of the guys, and they're like, yeah, no, Will trains every day. He comes at, like, 5 a.m. I meet him here. I was like, then why does he get dressed again, like, and put on his clothes and play this whole little charade? And it's, like, it's part of his little mind game.
2: It's all calculated.
1: And, yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I, I really think when you have guys like Kobe, and maybe Kobe was just a workhorse and, like, that was just who he was and it didn't matter if he showed up because, you know, pretty consistent on these stories. But what if he wasn't? What if it was all calculated and it was just his, like, this was his hustle. This is how he got over on guys. This is what, how, how he portrayed or he knew that if he did it in certain places, people would tell his legend. I, I, I don't know. I mean, that, that, that's a, that
0: sounds like harder work than actually doing it. Right, yeah, it just seems point. like easier like, just to show up and do the work. <laughs> okay.
2: Because yeah. I, I feel like those, those leadership qualities, it's like the, the masks that you talked about earlier. I feel like it's really, really hard to wear that mask continuously. And then, like you said, eventually you're going to break down. Right, but from what it sounds like, the stories that we hear is that that was consistent. Yeah,
1: I mean, it's. I think it's just
2: a part of the you know ethos uh, of.
1: The one interesting thing about playing the NFL, um, you know, you get 17 weeks to play a season, and then you got preseason, postseason, whatever. It ends up working out to, you know, 24 plus weeks. I mean, if not longer, like 27, 28 weeks. So you're looking at like roughly six months of work and uh a lot of people can fake things for a few weeks maybe even a few months but all of a sudden when things get cold and it's you know uh you know you're 12 14 weeks in and you've you know had three road games and injuries and whatever like all of a sudden you start seeing like, seeing, like the true people's true colors mm-hmm. come through and who's a hard player and who's a fucking hard you know who's going to be there and uh that's a really interesting thing where it's like everybody you know like when it's it's warm out and it's the beginning of the year and everybody's excited and the season openers and this everybody's rah 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 but where are you in like november when you got to play in green bay or you know all of a sudden you're in detroit in december and these fucking god awful places and you're like god damn it like that's how you get to see who's people's character and that's how you get to see how how hard people work
2: i think those those true colors uh, there's no better example than in like personal relationships too because like you hear about the honeymoon period with people, like you get in a relationship and you're trying to impress the other individual and all of a sudden like you're doing everything for them and based off of their interests and not really true to who you are. How, how long does the honeymoon phase last? They say anywhere from like the initial first couple of dates up to
1: two years. So you can fake it for up to you two can fake years. fake it huh? for up
2: to two years and they base it off of brain chemistry. They measure the hormone levels in the brain, like the um, oxytocin and the endorphin releases, all those feel-good love hormones, and they start to fade away at about the two-year mark. Mm. That's when you get into the fight. That's when the fights start. Yeah, <laughs> so. Text, your mind looks
1: blown over here right now.
0: I'm listening, <laughs> taking notes. All right. All right.
1: Yeah, no, um, I always think uh, uh, the way that you know, like, you know, like we had the the twins so quickly that uh, I've always joked that like we never even had a honeymoon. Mm-hmm. like like we, we didn't <laughs> literally L- literally we did my wife was pregnant so we never had a honeymoon so like I keep telling her I'm like we got to go on that honeymoon one of these days and she's like Ugh. I'm like I guess we already missed it that's why you got to go on the honeymoon phase early
0: I'm sure there's a term for late moon but uh, I want to bring up the, it's called a reboot
1: a baby moon no. yeah
0: reboot? a reboot uh, there's a term sticking with uh, companies and creating this this uh, magnet towards your personality there's a term that was invented for Steve Jobs and the culture that he created at Apple, it's a reality distortion field in that his charisma and push, so say you're one of his employees, his push and belief and expectation that you can get this done in two weeks versus what you say for, and then you can accomplish this, or it's outside your skill set. So his belief and charisma in his abilities, his team's abilities, and it just it weighed on people. But at the same time, he elevated their capability and capacity beyond what they believed they could accomplish. And it's, it's just creating this expectation for people to aim towards. So maybe they fall short of that two weeks expectation, but then it was accomplished in the three versus the four. So it was a term that one of his, his employees invented. His name was Bud Dribble in 1981 to help describe the, the, the culture and the work atmosphere that that his he was experienced with the uh, Steve Jobs yeah, back then.
2: It sounds like he was catalyzing a learning moment for all those employees, right? To, like to me, the first thing that comes to mind is like when you're when you're playing a sport and if the coach isn't talking to you, it's not a good sign, yeah, right? Like, yeah. like he's not busting your balls, you're probably not putting enough effort or work in. So Steve Jobs, being such a hard ass that he was, from what I hear, got to read his book too. That's still on the to do list, um, the, the biography of him, but. You know, catalyzing that learning moment, it pushes them, pushes people to their limits and it puts them into an environment where they necessarily wouldn't have been able to take themselves before. Mm. And I think that that challenge is the mark of a really good leader.
1: Yeah, you gotta uh, challenge people. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. And then, so what we, what will we say to athletes or employees that are then posed with, man, this guy's always riding me? He won't get off my back. What is that, with that attitude, how can we.
1: But how can we. I provide think, them. Like uh, Matt brought a great point. If all of a sudden you go to a situation where your coach or your you know, the uh, your boss, or whatever starts stops talking to you, then I think it's when you get nervous. Like I think people ride people because they see uh, potential in them and they expect and they want to be engaged and they're trying to pull out the best thing. Whereas this guy's just riding me as being a hard ass. I mean, I had teachers like that. I'm like, Oh, this guy's being a hard ass, and the reason was was that they saw potential and they knew that if they put some effort and a little bit of pressure, they could get what they wanted, when all of a sudden somebody's ignoring you and not giving you any, that's actually worse. You know, and I've told this to my daughters at school. They have a teacher, and she was real hard on my my one daughter. Um, And I'm like, Jamie, it's because you're smart and she expects a lot from you is why she's hard on you. If you get to a point where your teacher doesn't say a single word and doesn't care, then that's when we get nervous. That's when all of a sudden they've just given up on you. And she couldn't, like... Oh, well, but then also girls are different than boys. I think uh, girls do much better with positive reinforcement, whereas I think uh, boys tend to do better with, like, you can't do this. You know, whereas girls are like, oh, you know, maybe girls. Is that can't. boys or
0: girls or the energy, Matt?
1: It, boys and girls. There, there's, there actually are <laughs> yeah. some, yeah, there's some genetic. Dude, there's, all a, there's a whole yeah. bunch of books I read on, like, how to, like, coach girls. Okay. That like coach uh, girls uh, will work hard if like they feel endeared to their coach and like they're they want to like play, you know because women tend to be pleasers in a lot of ways so like uh you know like f- it's very different coaching female sports and male sports and like creating bonds and this and like you know there's a whole bunch of things whereas a lot of dudes you know like uh, uh you know I want to succeed in spite of this fucking asshole whereas that same kind of mindset is pretty toxic and doesn't work well for girls you know
2: and i think it definitely transcends animals as well So i train hunting dogs i've been training them since i was a little kid we've always had labradors and weimaraners and the first dog that we had was a female lab and the next two that we had were the weimaraners were both boys and the boys are so fucking stubborn so stubborn so hard-headed Yet yeah, the girls, the female dogs, and I'm getting a new puppy here in a couple of weeks, so I'm going to be testing this out here really, real soon. The female dogs are always, like you said, way more submissive, and they are willing to please, and you, you train them more with um, praise and love than you have to do with the sticks. So it's more the carrot than the stick yeah. with these dogs, and I think this, it's the same way with coaching as well. Yeah. Just like training a dog, right?
1: <laughs> no, I, I mean, I, I I had a lot of asshole coaches growing up, yeah. and I think I su- I wanted to succeed in spite of assholes. Whereas, you know, just talking with my wife, um, you know, like how she was coached and, like, you know, the best coaches she's had, and even for my daughters for their sports and gymnastics and swimming, whatever. Like, the more engaged and, like, the more connected they are with the coach, the more they want to go and the more they want to, like, progress. Mm-hmm. Um, that's, like, a just a – whereas – I could care less. I'm like, fuck, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be successful regardless of this asshole.
0: So encouraging these kids to get their place at the table or individuals, it all determines, on. like, does it come down to sex alone?
2: No, I, oh. I think there's a component of it, but no, not, not fully. Uh, the, I, the, yeah, go on. I was going to say, I think there's a lot more uh, conditioning that's involved in that as well.
0: Well, here's a quick question, Then how how could you read how to play that situation very quickly before just assuming, off our first impression, what's going to work to then encourage this person to help earn their place at the table versus eventually expect it?
2: I think it comes down to the communication, right? So, like, a lot of, and it it depends on the generations as well, because the way, you know, you and I were raised is totally different than the generation growing up now, like, the do boys and girls in their early 20s that are trying to ask for that seat at the table, uh, we are always taught to like really work hard, and I think that goes back to that entitlement piece, John, that we were talking about earlier. I think there's a lot more of that going on right now, like expecting to be um, placed at the table based off of you know who you are or like your efforts so far in life. Uh, but I think it comes down to setting the right expectations, like and having that conversation, uh, because uh, John, we talked about this earlier, where. You know, you you couldn't get a date by sitting home alone. Yeah. Right.
1: I'm like, that's the one place I was never going to meet any girls was sitting at home by myself. Exactly.
2: So you have to put yourself out there and put yourself in the environment. And it's almost like you have to throw yourself into the fire and meet as many people as you can and talk and network and um, get to know them. And now you have the reps in so that when you do get that window of opportunity opened up, you can jump through it. But I think, you know, to answer your question, Tex, it comes down to delivery. Right. It it comes down to the impact that you're trying to to have so um like like for me for example like i was telling you the value i was going to provide you john back there at that block one like Mm -hmm. this is all i can offer you and you know that's totally different than saying hey i deserve a seat at your table because of everything that i've done who gives a shit what can you do for me that's what people want to know about
1: well or what can we do together
2: what can you do together yeah
1: and, and a lot of times um there's kind of an interesting balance. Like, uh, and I I do, you know, we deal with this all the time, like the risk versus reward. Uh, Like the idea of like, okay, hey, like the information might be good or this person, you know, uh, has a skill set or whatnot, but uh, you're an insufferable insufferable asshole. And then you have to like balance that out and be like, well, then we don't wanna work with you. So I think that there's like kind of an interesting balance of like camaraderie, um, you know, being able to fit within a group, being, you know, like not being a fucking pompous ass. you know, being able to work well within teams. That's why, you know, when uh, when we tend to hire people, we find that people that play team sports tend to work better in different environments, you know, and especially in ours. So, like, that idea of, like, team sports, can I work in a group? Do I understand the general mission? You know, how to, you know, uh, do I understand that camaraderie opposed from, uh, you know, some other people when we've encountered where we've been like, man, that guy's probably, a, a, could be a valuable piece, but, like, so nobody wants to work with you. And so I think that that's a interesting thing, and I, I, I tell this to My daughters all the time, um, especially like for the school they go to, they work in a lot of small groups where it's like, you know, you have to learn to work in groups. You have to prove yourself to be a valuable member of the team so that everybody wants to work with you. You can be the smartest person, but if you're insufferable and nobody wants to work with you, then you don't get ahead. And so I think that there's an interesting balance of like being able to work in groups being uh, supportive and being a leader, being able to bring a lot to the table, but also bring up the strengths of, the, uh, of those around you. And at the end of the day, don't be a fucking douchebag.
0: Yeah, to comment on that and going back to my experience recruiting in college and then cutting kids at D3, small time, but at the same time, like we're looking at the big board and we can only hold 40 kids. Like, who's going to just, yeah, that kid's never gonna play, but damn it, he's gonna give his all during practice. He's going to be encouraging he's going to create this this science of the sidelines as I call it just posturing up my kids come off encouraging in the huddle and they just want to be a part but not just wear the jersey they want to be a part of the team. So that was always part of the conversation when we go to the whiteboard to to erase the names in the fall.
2: I think that that comes back to one of my favorite presentations from. Summerstrong this year was martin rooney oh baby yeah right like talk about an energetic presentation delivery style man you were just engaged from the moment he started talking it's uh it's uh, he told the story of you know coming out from coming out from track practice or track tryouts and getting cut right and then that that, or sorry no it was um football practice and coming back and getting cut and saying the coach coming to him and saying you know you'd be really great you'd be amazing at track and field so giving them that next option and showing that they're still valuable somewhere mm-hmm. and that could be that pivot moment that transition piece for a lot of these a lot of the kids
1: cool oh. well i think ask and answer yeah well thank you for introducing that topic yeah, yeah, Matt. yeah that, that was a good one thanks dr yeah. zanis if and
0: our oh, i'm sorry oh, sorry go on. no i was going to recommend we encourage philosophical questions as well as training mm-hmm. to chew the fat on crew chewing the to fat to highlight Char- uncle charles's uh,
1: promotions that we have on instagram and what's
0: that hotline number, John?
1: Oh yeah, if you are interested in leaving us a question on the Power Athlete Hotline, that number is 929-464-464. 464 Zero. 929-ing-ing. Zero. Yep, so if you have a question, and whether it be kind of one of these esoteric questions or something that is thought-provoking, or you got a training question, whatever it is, call up, leave it on the hotline, and we will go through them, and hopefully we select it and ask an answer. And if you're sitting anywhere listening to this podcast that does reviews, smash us a five-star review, leave us a, something funny uh, and you know fitting of this podcast, and uh, if it's good, we'll have our boy Chauncey read it. Mm-hmm. So, all Great. right, well thank you for tuning in to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. I'm John, I'm with Tex, and Matt Zanis, and bye. Bye. bye.
0: Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to powerathletehq.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!